Welcome everyone to Drive to Win. I'm Justin Bell, your host, and I'm here at the Win Las Vegas. And the show is presented by Mobile One for the love of driving. Well, I don't know about you, but I had an amazing weekend of Formula One watching on TV. Sadly, we couldn't get to Austin this year. We were so busy in preparation for not just the Las Vegas Goncourt, but also the big Formula One week here, Heineken Silver Grand Prix of Las Vegas. And it is all kicking off, as you know. But it was also all kicking off in Austin. Uh, it was a very exciting weekend on the end of a very exciting week for me, actually. I I had a very Formula One-centric week, and some of it involves what is sitting on my desk here. You might be wondering uh, why I have Lando Norris's actual Miami Grand Prix helmet on my desk. Well, it is part of the Hall of Fame collection and is linked to my guest, Darren Jack, who will be joining me who has quite literally turned a hobby into a worldwide business. He is he's the guy that kind of collected things as a kid, and, and now he trades helmets with the best drivers in the world. I can tell you what, this helmet is so beautiful. I want to hear the story. And when uh, Darren comes on in a few minutes, I'll, I'll let him explain. But I, I hope you appreciate the uh, window dressing. So that was all part of a Thursday night McLaren Experience Center opening here in the Wynn, Las Vegas. You know, I did do a piece on it a few weeks ago. That was sort of the soft opening. This week, we had celebrities, they had influencers, they had all the executive team from the win and some of the most beautiful cars. Tom O'Gara as well from O'Gara and Paris Mullen, who runs everything for him. And basically, it, it, it really brought this sort of the racing world and some of the Formula One stuff into the win. And on top of the cars we have, uh, Darren from Hall of Fame Collection, he bought some incredible uh, you know, collectibles. I mean, there's a Lewis Hamilton helmet in there. It's probably worth $200,000. It's actually a race-worn helmet with all the pits on it from things. Anyway, that's one of the things I did. And then I was in New York City for a huge Ferrari gala. And I'm telling you this because I was hanging out with Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc. And i got to tell you, they are very cool cats. It was, it was a massive event, raised millions for charity. But the, the, guests, you know, the guests of the day, the stars were really those two drivers. We hung, hung out backstage and just interesting to hear them talk about what's going on in Formula One, whether they were looking forward to Austin. They were both looking forward to Austin, how they're looking forward to, to Las Vegas. And Carlos was funny. He was like asking me, so have you driven the track? I said, well, no. He said, have you done it on the simulator? And I said, well, that's, that's what I should be asking you. Um, and he hasn't been on it yet, but they're about to do that this week. So, so much going on um, and it's just very cool to hang out with those two guys and, and you know, get to see their personalities. They really were very engaging, very intelligent. And uh, there's so many things. One of the questions I asked them, uh, I had to ask them because this foundation, uh, Ferrari Foundation is for children's education. And I started off by saying, you know, race drivers aren't really that uh, known for their dedication to academics, uh, but when you get into Formula One or the upper, upper levels of motorsport, intelligence is a prerequisite, understanding data, understanding, every, you know, and, and Carlos actually said his dad um, was very, very, uh, you know, world champion rally driver, uh, was adamant about his education, also knew if you got to Formula One, you had to be able to speak English perfectly, not just uh, his native Spanish. And of course, if you want to race for Ferrari, you should really speak Ferrari, uh, Italian. You speak Ferrari. I guess it is kind of speaking Ferrari. Um, very impressive seeing Charles and Carlos switch like three languages in four sentences. So just a great experience. But let's get back to Austin. I mean, quite amazing. It was a sprint weekend. Max won on, on the Saturday. Uh, we had, uh, you know, it was Max, Lewis, Charles. It was a great little race. Um, but I Here's something, I, and I want to see if you, you agree with me. And Max has echoed something that I wasn't really qualified to talk about, but in a way, but as a spectator, the sprint races are really like an insight, an indicator into what's going to happen on the Sunday. And Max was right. It kind of takes away a little bit from waking up on a Sunday morning and thinking to yourself, and with excitement, who's going who's going to be fast today? Who's going to win? What's going to happen? And it really is a, a, almost like a insight into the results on on the Sunday. 
which was kind of right in a way. The the Sunday one by Max, then with Lewis Hamilton in this outstanding second, and then Lando Morris, Laura, uh, Norris in third. But of course, the story of the day was when we went to bed last night. I'd already sort of got most of this show laid out, and then you hear about the DQs, the disqualifications for um, Lewis Hamilton and Charles Leclerc, and it's really. Uh, I hate post-race disqualifications. I hate changing the end result. I mean, just so you know, the bookies here in Vegas had already paid out on Lewis being in second place. But when those results come through, they do this post-race inspection that is so detailed and intricate because obviously race teams, they push everything right to the edge and not intentionally cheat, but believe you and me, if there's a way to get around to the faster side of things, they will. and with Mercedes bringing that new floor they had and the performance of that new floor, which did give them another couple of tenths a lap. And the sprint format, their excuse was, oh, I'll just get to that, is that the under tray, the wooden under uh, plank underneath was overly worn way past the tolerances set for the end of the race. Now you could say those, the cars, you see the sparks flying out and they run over those curbs. Of course it wears it down. But the, I'll read what they said. The onus is on the competitor to ensure the car is in compliance at all times. And Mercedes and McLaren's uh, and Ferrari's argument was because of the sprint format, they didn't really have time to do a full fuel load run and test the car before it went and check the car before it went to part Fermi. Therefore, they were under. And I think it's a testament, again, I always talk about Lewis's uh, grace in some of these situations he said listen we were fast um but you know we were we were under under ride height and uh what can you do a rule is a rule it does apply to everyone most of the time so uh i think that was the that was sort of the fun part of it i mean for them is that seeing the pace of the mercedes but the net result of of that was really quite extreme and it's cascaded this cascade of results into uh, into motion when you think about it, taking those two out did the following. Landon Norris went to second. Carlos Sainz went to get a podium in third place. Perez went to fourth and subsequently has extended his lead over Hamilton in the Drivers' Championship, something that I wouldn't have said would have happened two weeks ago. And Russell went from seventh to sixth. And then the big ones, really, well, Stroll went from eighth to seventh. Two Williams are now in the top ten which has had this incredible moment because I have been predicting, I mean, not in, not hopefully in an unpleasant way, that Logan Sargent's run in Formula One will come to an end if he didn't start getting some great performances in and making unforced errors. However, getting his first Formula One points, the first Formula One points for an American driver in America, I think in like 30 years or something, and just incredible that he did that on home soil. Has that given his opportunity to stay inside Formula One a, a little bit longer lease of life? I don't know. We will see. If he can back it up in Mexico and then here in Vegas, then maybe he does have a seat. They keep saying, Williams, that they'd like to keep him in the sport, keep him in a ride for Formula One for next year because everyone does better on their second year. But that was quite wild to me that he gets his first points and, and Williams, two in the top 10. And of course, don't forget that every one of those championship points means millions of dollars at the Constructors' Championship at the end of the year. Millions of dollars. There's like a $900 million pot that they all share. Those are the, that was the data from 2021, so it must be well over a billion now. They all share in that, and every point counts. Which also means that our guest from a few weeks ago, Yuki Sonoda, uh, huge congratulations to him. He, he ended up eighth, and right at the end, I thought it was masterful, he backed off came in the, I mean, backed off, came in the pits, put on a new set of softs and went out and got the extra point for fastest lap. So just, uh, just a great thing, but it does show, doesn't it? You can have the final result, and then it, there's a knock-on effect <clears throat> that really does financially and career-wise affect a lot of people. So uh, yeah, penalties, you've got to watch out for, which of course does show that we're getting close to Las Vegas for us <clears throat> because we're totally in, engaged here in getting ready for the Heineken Silver Grand Prix of Las Vegas. And it is getting closer under the lights. And me talking to the drivers last week really got me excited about it, to know that it was so much on 
their minds. Um, here at the win, of course, you know we're getting ready for it. It is the epicenter of Formula One. Uh, the drivers are staying here. The Formula One cars are everywhere. We've got a golf tournament, a Netflix golf tournament that week, and a red carpet event on the Wednesday night, all taking place here at the win. So while a lot of the VIP packages are sold out, there are still ways to get here and go along to winlasvegas.com slash experiences slash F1 and you can find out. I've saved my sort of analysis of the race to talk through with Darren because he he was there, he was on site, he felt the emotions, he could feel all the energy, the vibe, the stress, the tension, everything that comes out of a Formula One Grand Prix paddock. Um, and before I bring him on, let me tell you a bit about him. He, he was that guy that turned a hobby passion uh, for motorsport into a thriving business. He, he slept outside the gates of Silverstone and now he gets invited into Fernando Alonso's motorhome. That is the life he's led. He has over 10,000 items in his Hall of Fame collection. A lot not for sale and a lot uh, sold around the world to, to worthy collectors. And it's basically the, he is the guy when it comes to racing memorabilia and preserving sort of the physicality, all these mementos uh, of our sport. And of course, he was at Cota. So let's jump in and, and talk about the races weekend. Darren, it is great to see you. And I know you're hanging out in your hotel waiting to have this conversation, but thanks for joining Drive to Win. Pleasure to be here. And yeah, of course, still in Austin. And uh, I think I'm going to get a knock at the door soon to check out, but <laughs> I can uh, could stay with you for a little bit. <laughs> uh, perfect. Well, obviously, I, I saw you just a few days ago here at the Win mm -hmm. Las Vegas when we were in the McLaren Experience Center and you'd bought all this amazing memorabilia along. And uh, they it seemed a bit weird when I went in there a minute ago and said, hey, can I take the Lando helmet? I just need to nip off down to the studio. Uh, but Stephen uh, from Ogara, he was like, yeah, yeah, of course. So um, before we talk about the Grand Prix and, and everything, I, I'm a driver, as you, obviously, and I've got all my helmets and things. And I've never really spent much time around other guys' helmets other than my father's trying it on when I was a little kid, you know, peeking through the visor and as an eight-year-old dreaming. These helmets now have become works of art, mate. This, I mean, for anyone listening, um, I'll describe it. It is Lando Norris's uh, Miami helmet and it's a beach ball and it's painted like a beach ball. And, and it has, we just noticed, it's even got the warning label uh, on you know, but it's tailor made for Lando in the you know it's it's uh you know the property of land you know was it say supervision only using the supervision of Lando Norris this is genius stuff I mean do you still get super excited when you when you get your hands on one of these Yeah, absolutely, sure do. Like I mean that helmet that you mentioned of Lando, um, my staff actually went out and found a beach ball that was exactly the same color and everything. They made a little TikTok video. You have to check it out on Hall of Fame collection. But um, there is exactly like the beach ball and these helmet artists are extremely talented. Jens Munzer Designs actually did that one. They're out of Germany. They're more famous for uh, starting with Michael Schumacher and then of course Sebastian Vettel and you, you know that he changed his helmet designs a lot. And they work with a lot of the uh, current drivers, such as Max Verstappen, Lando Norris, and they come up with these innovative designs. And uh, you and I probably would agree that we like the classic design. You know, you think yeah. about your dad's helmet design or a lot of them, Nets and Senna, which are very recognizable. But it is cool when they do these one-offs, I have to say, um, especially when it's relevant to that particular Grand Prix as um, the beach ball one was. You know, you think of Miami Beach and... Uh, and Lando had done the basketball one the previous year. So this was another kind of ball theme that he did for uh, 2023. And, you know, you and I talked about it on Thursday night. Uh, traditionally, it was very hard for a driver to get his personal brand known. Now, in sports cars, you were totally screwed because you're in, an, in inside a car. But Formula One drivers, IndyCar drivers, they have the advantage because their head is exposed. Now... That's why in a world pre-social media, you had to stick with your design within reason. I messed around with the colors of the white, you know, cream, white, silver, whatever. Um, but you had to stay like Damon Hill followed his father's white stripes. You know, you've got the Ayrton helmet. Jill DeFerrin put a bit of Ayrton into his helmet because being Brazilian. But they were signatures. You could actually look at a helmet from a mile away and go, oh, that's, that's Elio Castroneves mm -hmm. or that's, you know, 
James Hunt. Um, do you think it's just a, a reaction to social media because you can update millions of people instantly as to your new brand? I think that that must play a part, don't you think? That's a, I think that's an amazing point you've made there, Justin. I've actually never heard that explanation before. So um, that's something that makes a lot of sense. I spend a lot of time around the you know, the helmets and of course the, the people that are passionate about it. We have a lot of people that collect them that I know. And that's a, a topic that's brought up regularly about the designs. But you make a great point because now, of course, everybody is going to know who they are. And they're going to even know that weekend immediately what kind of helmet they're going to be wearing. Like, for example, if you look at Austin this weekend, Charles Leclerc had the green helmet. Yeah. And in times of the past, they would never have been able to do that and know who it is. But we all knew straight away. And, you know, Zhou Guan Yu had this sort of leathery looking uh, helmet, which was cowboy boots or a hat style for Austin. And I think it's cool that they do these one-offs. And uh, of course, it's even cooler when we get to have them after the race and get them signed by the drivers. And yeah. it may even make them available to our, our, our followers. And of course, Hall of Fame collection, you're the guys to go to. Um, but didn't, you, you sent me a photograph, we're going to show it now, of you with Alonso. I mean, you you the drivers invite you in now. You're, you're not, I, I, I really do think in the beginning they must have looked at you as a bit of a, like a parasite, right? Like this guy just wants my stuff and he's going to sell it. Now they realize you are a, you're an intrinsic part of the, uh, of the culture of our sport. Um, and your indie collection is wild. Appreciate that. Yeah, you mentioned, you know, starting off, it's always difficult, especially with these guys, right? The biggest thing is trust. You know, you want to earn their trust and respect. And guys like Fernando, luckily, um, when it came around to do some business with him, he already knew who I was. He's a fan of collecting helmets himself. He's got a great collection in his museum. And he immediately understood the business of it and understood times, you know, he let some go. And uh, obviously, it's it's time for these guys to get some revenue as well. They've worked hard on spending a lot of money to get into the position they're in, uh, in their careers. And now they have the opportunity to capitalize on it, whether it's merchandise or in some cases, rare memorabilia, but it does take a lot of uh, trust and a lot of, you know, hard work to get to that point. And we're fortunately in the position now at hall of fame collection where myself and my team uh, have the uh, sort of respect of these drivers. And, it, but it's not lost on me either. I'm a fan of the sport and, uh, be able to be in the F1 paddock, to be able to bring a client in, to meet the driver, get something signed. You know, these guys are the best in the world, right? So definitely enjoy enjoy those moments. Ah, it's so good. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I think it's brilliant what you do, and I'm glad they're so open to it. Again, part of the new era of accessibility of Formula One, Drive to Survive, and all that. Just, just give us a guideline. What, what will a a, a global collector pay for this helmet? Could they like a one-off design, like a Lando one, we could you can pick it up for about seventy thousand um, dollars. Some of the entry-level F1 helmets, you're probably looking at around fifteen to twenty-five thousand US dollars. Uh, they are available on RacingHallOfFameCollection.com. You can see the different prices and such. And then we do offer kind of like exclusive opportunities to come into the paddock and meet Fernando or some of these other drivers, meet and greet and uh, receive the helmet from them in person. So it's kind of like a a next level experience to uh, be able to pick them up and uh, and and honestly they're they're a little bit undervalued I feel if you look at the American sports uh, value of their memorabilia guys like Michael Jordan their boots are selling you know game war shoes for a million dollars or LeBron or Tom Brady and I believe that these guys like the Hamiltons and Verstappens and that these guys are going to be legendary so if you can get in and get something from them. It's a great investment to uh, to look forward to to see grow in the future. Oh, I love it. Well, I'll be really careful walking through the casino <laughs> when I take. Oh, this you didn't bet. get the bill yet? No, seven seven oh, grand, okay. didn't you say? I like that. Oh, all right. Well, listen, <laughs> you were in Austin. You were there in the paddock. Hotel is one of my favorite tracks. Uh, you know, I was with the Ferrari drivers last week in New York, and they were like, "We really love this track. It's got all the elements of the best corners are from tracks around the world." The discussion actually was, it's a whole nother subject, but like, why do they screw up so many of the other tracks when you could use the Austin model and just pick great tracks, corners from around the world? But Austin has a, has a great vibe. It is Texas. And everybody there sort of embraces the fact that that was the return to America, wasn't it? Austin, when Kota opened up 10 years ago, whatever, it was back to racing in Formula One in America. 
and everyone responded. And that has really carried on, even though we have Miami, even though we got Vegas. I think they really like Austin. Talk about what it was like there in the paddock over the weekend. Celebrities you saw, I mean, there was a heavy influx of VIPs. Maybe why I didn't get a ticket. But go on, tell mm-hmm. us about that. Yeah, I mean, you make some great points there, Justin. You and I are obviously born in Britain, but we've been in North America for a long time. So we've seen, you know, the growth of of the American market and the interest and drive to survive. And and now it's normal. Like I was sitting next to two two younger girls who were probably in their early 20s and just chatting normally about everything F1 and they're very knowledgeable. And like, I remember I've done that now numerous times and I used to like pinch myself like, wait, these younger females like have knowledge and they know what it is. And now it's just normal to me yeah. to experience fans like that or even people who are working uh, within the sport or the track even. But yeah, you mentioned that how good Austin is. Um, you know, we've seen sort of um, the early 90s, you know, you had Phoenix and they'd bounce around to different venues. And then, of course, you know, you had Indianapolis and then it went away for a little while. Austin came back in 2012 and it's been amazing to see the growth since. Um, Just even the fans, like I remember five, six years ago, there was a handful of fans waiting around outside the paddock trying to meet a driver. And now it's basically when you leave the F1 paddock and you drive out the tunnel, and you drive up the up the road. You basically just got fans lining lining these roads just to get a glimpse of their favorite driver and a photo with him. And then, of course, the celebrity influx of is is unbelievable. You know, Prince Harry was there just standing at the bottom of the podium. You know, meters from me, as well as Rory McIlroy, and uh, you've got Anthony Joshua, the boxer. You've got a lot of other celebrities that are there, and actresses and actors. Um, it's really everyone wants to be involved in F1, especially in America. And Austin has that sort of really exciting vibe, not just the track, but the facility and the city, everything checks the boxes. Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy I enjoy the pre-show. Now it's a bit like watching the red carpet, you know, at the Oscars or something. There's so many people there, <laughs> but it's our Oscars, you know. Meanwhile, everyone's still got a job to do. Formula One is deadly serious, billions of dollars at stake. I mean, it's it's a crazy business. Um, let's let's dive in a little bit on the race because hmm. it was, you know, I, I don't need to talk about the sprint, Darren, because you know that that was what it was, and it was a good demonstration. Max cleared up, and that was it. But it, as he said, it was a bit of an insight into what happens the next day. Um, I love the start at Austin. I love the way it can challenge the the pole sitter. And to see Lando take the lead and and storm off in a very max style, uh, that must have what was the did you feel an energy shift in the crowd? Because we're so used to Max doing it. Did did the did everyone sort of respond to that? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, they did. Um, I feel a little bit sorry for Max because he heard a few boos and everything, yeah. but that's really because everybody just wants to, they're a fan of the sport, really. I don't think it's personal towards him. Um, but on the other side of that, you did have the energy for for Orlando and the excitement of even Lewis coming through the field. Like, what if we're there t- to witness uh, Max Verstappen not winning a race, yeah. right? I mean, it sounds pretty hilarious to say it, but um, Lando Norris not only did give the energy to the crowd, but he gave a lot of energy to his team. And he also showed that they're there for business and they're really there to compete. And I love the fact that there was all these different strategies going on because it really left the race to be unknown if like, somebody can come through the field and can Charles Leclerc do it on one stop and maybe will he have, if he'd have stopped earlier for a second stop, would he have had the Roberts come through fast like a Lewis? So there was a lot of storylines in there. And uh, But with the McLaren, I was around the team after I saw Lando, talked to Oscar as well. And both, considering Oscar was out of the race, both were very positive and, and very uplifted by that speed. Yeah, I mean, let's... Uh- Two things you brought out there. One, McLaren. I mean, at the beginning of the year, if we'd said by Austin that Lando would take the lead of the Grand Prix and pretty much could be challenging, one mistake from, from you know, Max would have resulted, you know, obviously at, at one phase in, in him being able to have an unchallenged win. And then you get Lewis, who, it, I mean, I was shouting at the TV a little bit when on the strategy thing, I'm like, no, no, you're better fall between one strategy and another. If you don't, if you don't follow the Red Bull, 
which I thought was a smart move, you know, to come in. I'm like, you're not going to, you're going to be on an offset strategy. And of course, in those final few laps, you could see Lewis was genuinely about to overtake, could challenge Max. And it would have been, wouldn't it? I mean, I'm going to ask. I think it would have been maybe the first honest, full-blown overtake that Max would have experienced all year for for the lead, wouldn't it? He, I mean, it would have been something we haven't seen in 2023. Yeah, you're 100% right there. And uh, I think, you know, with those damaged floors, it's amazing how fast your car can go. I'm just yeah, kidding, yeah, of course. Yeah, no, but no, no. It, that's a little me and hopefully yeah. Lewis isn't watching this. But yeah, absolutely. Mercedes had a lot of speed. so they, I hope he is, they just can, so you know. I mean, that would be good for me. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely. Um, but yeah, they have a lot of speed now as well. And they show that, hey, we're here for business. And not only is that great news for F1 fans right now, but it's also great news for next year because we're going to see sort of these upgrades coming on these cars now. It's going to give us a little insight of who's catching up to Red Bull. I mean, we're seeing it, aren't we, from yeah. Ferrari at different tracks. We've, we've seen it from Aston Martin at the start of the season. They brought some major upgrades that were very disappointing in their camp. Um, but then, of course, Mercedes was strong, very, very strong. And they've got a lot to look forward to, I think, from um, from this point in the, in the in the rest of the season. And, of course, into next year, um, at that Red Bull is definitely getting just great news for F1 fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you know, what's, what's, what's interesting for me about, about Lewis is, uh, this is a funny conversation, actually, is the difference in the radio traffic between um, Lewis's engineer and Max's engineer. Lewis, I mean, Lewis is always slightly on the pessimistic side, right? And he needs reassuring. And you hear it. It's like, I mean, you can go for P2 and maybe a win. So, you know, you can, you know what that does to Lewis. He's a five times winner at Cota. He is, he's, and he's, in my opinion, one of the best men that's ever been beside, behind a wheel, as we all know. But he's still got it, mate, hasn't he? And, but what a difference that radio traffic was. He's going, God, you know, they're g him up, right? You can do it. Let's, well, I'm not sure. Yeah, I can do, you know, you can do it. Then you've got Max's engineer going and telling him something and Max absolutely ripping him a new one with, you know, three or four times. Don't talk to me under the braking zone. And uh, what, a, what a difference in styles and reception. I mean, uh, obviously when you're watching live at the track, you don't get that. But uh, there was a lot of that radio traffic um, going on. Do you have you generally found, you know, as a fan of Lewis, that he he's a guy that needs that that uh, you know that I, I motivation? Think, uh, I think Lewis is very clever, and he knows exactly what he's doing. Maybe his engineers and his team also do as well. But it's almost like he's. It's almost like he's playing to the crowd and he's playing to his competitors. And and he's and he's like, you know, that's why he talks about the tires not being right. He's just he seems a few steps ahead of everybody else when it comes to that. He's playing a little bit of the mind games. Where Max, one of the things you get with him is he's real all the time. He's always genuine. He's in person, in you know, in his interviews. And that's why some people don't like him. You know, he doesn't play to the crowd. He doesn't pretend to be somebody else. He just tells the truth. And that shows when he's when he's racing as well. You know, he's 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 being a bit hard on his engineer or he's a strategist that's coming in and, and giving him radio messages. You know what that's mm-hmm. like when you go into the braking zone and, and they're giving you radio messages. It's like give it to me on the straight, you know, but he's, he's, he's wears his heart on his sleeve and he's, and he's just real. I mean, this is, um, we've seen it in the past where he gets a little bit uptight and everything that, but it's his drive to win. I think he just cares that much. Even if he's won every race, he still wants to win more. And, uh, and you know, but maybe it's something that will come with age too, that he'll learn to calm down a little bit. Or maybe, well, maybe he wants, not. just his personality. I mean, look at his dad. <laughs> I don't think his dad's yeah. mellowed at all. No. But I mean, yeah, uh, remind me, come back to that question. Um, but I do want to, what Jeremiah, my producer, and I were just talking before you came on about that radio traffic, uh, the way Max responded. When you're on the way up as a driver, as an athlete, you know you're going to be challenging. Oh. And there's, part, there's something, is that your room service coming? Um, it is. Yeah, that's two right. Two minutes. <laughs> two. 
challenging. You're challenging to, um, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Darren Jag get thrown out of a hotel in Austin. Um, no, what happens is, is that, you know, that on the way up, you challenge and you, you, you know you're going to get beaten down. And for some reason, you, you're okay with that. When you rise to the top, and you have such a dominant era like we've just seen. It is, was that a little insight into what it might be like for him when he's actually got Lando, Oscar, Lewis, George, uh, Charles, you know, Carlos, beating him, out-qualifying him, beating him off the line, beating him to wins. I wonder how he's going to react at that point because, as you say, he's so raw. What do you think? Do you think he's going to, I don't know, we're going to see maybe that might be his Achilles heel? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, that's that's incredibly uh, interesting to see how he's going to handle that because you're right. I mean, everything's he's already won the world championship, and he's got he's got um, a dominant car. Yeah. He's won the sprint race. He's get gets poles. It seems like every week, and um, here he is getting a little bit irate. I mean, you and I, as the armchair fans sitting back, we're like. Relax, Max. What's yeah. the problem here? You know, you're winning everything, and maybe even just finish second. You know, give one up for the sport or let Checo win one more before he announces his retirement or something, you know. But um, he, he did get up, you know, a little bit uptight there. And maybe that's something he's going to look look at trying to improving on going forward because that's a strong attribute to some of these other drivers. Like you mentioned, Lando, you don't really see him get too upset and everything like that. And uh, and, and he is human. So maybe we found one floor in Max Verstappen one after all, floor. right? Yeah. I mean... Isn't it awful to hope that that could be the weakness? And as you say, if you if you look at Lewis's ability, he's an older man. He's done hundreds of Grand Prix, and he's canny as a fox. Maybe he'll know how to exploit that. Um, what I was going to ask you: have, have you witnessed much of the interaction between Max and Jos, his dad? Yeah, of course. I mean, they're always around at every uh, every race you've ever got. Is his dad, Jos, there, or his manager, Raymond, they're, they're an integral part of his personal team. And, um, you know, they're also part of the, the, the man's success. You know, we know what Jos is like. Uh, I mean, it seems from the outside that he's this tough father and everything, and he absolutely is. But what he's done is he's helped Max become the champion, world champion he really is. And um, being around, you can see that they've got a great relationship. It's comforting that to Max to have uh, him or his manager at the track with them at all times. And, um, you know, it's a little bit different. Well, it's very different. Let's compare it to like Lewis Hamilton who doesn't have his dad or necessarily managers around. He just kind of has a bit of his own personal entourage and walks in the paddock with different outfits every week. Um, and then you've got Max. He's, he's uh, there with his Red Bull shirt on, his cap and his backpack, the same every time. Um, just really comfortable in who he is as a human being. And uh, and I think a lot of it comes down to the, the family and support that he has around him. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just, uh, yeah, the outfits. I love um, Mark Sutton always posts the pictures, doesn't he, on his Instagram. And you're like, holy cow. I mean, I'm, I, I get a bit embarrassed if someone asked me to wear like a weird hat or something because I've got such a big head. Um, oh, I wanted to tell you, mention something funny. I was saying to dad last night, we were talking about the radio tra traffic and him not wanting, Max not wanting to get uh, talked to under the braking. When I was racing, you know, the Vipers and the Corvettes, I would do the opposite. I had to have you talk to me under the braking because I had a bloody V10 or a V8 in front of me and under acceleration with our crappy radios, I couldn't hear a word you said. And so I would request, you know, you know the data, you know where I am on the track. Talk as much as you want under braking. So totally different. I mentioned these helmets have pretty good radios, wow. right? Yeah, they do. Yeah. I mean, they've got everything. These these modern helmets, full carbon fiber. One of the biggest things you'll notice that's different over the last couple of years is the iPod and how small it is. Yeah. If you like pop that visor, you can see the drivers have got an iPod this big. And I love to show people in, wow. in, in person that because it's... That? Uh, I'm not... I mean, it, 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 the, if you have... Um, the say the more if you have like the HP seven seven version, it's got the wider and um, the wider visor. But now they've built into these helmets basically 
um, when Felipe Massa had an accident, they did actually have like um, the visor panel. Uh, and so all of the helmets had a wider, wider eye port. And now they've got the narrow eye port and because it's built into the helmet with like space age technology. I mean, it's just, they just works of art in person and including the radios, of course, everything's yeah, yeah. so, so, so good these days yeah. compared no, I, to, you know, if technology. you think about your dad's days. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course they're going to, you know, I mean, I think if we could talk to Felix Baumgart or whatever, you know, 12 miles up in space, then we can talk to a guy, you know, half a mile away across the track, but not always the case in sports cars. Um, let's talk about uh, Red Bull on the other side of the garage. Uh, the Sergio Perez sort of slow donkey as opposed to the racehorse in the last few races. Um, no, I don't mean that nastily, Darren, but we've I've talked about it so many times on the show and you try not to make it like a like you're, you're kicking a guy when he's down, but there was nothing positive to talk about. And in Formula One, when there's only 20 drivers on the grid, especially with Red Bull equal equipment, you know that he's got to pull his weight. Um, and he did that this weekend. He should have been second, probably, you know, in real life. Um, but we are, he did a good job and it seemed to buoy his spirits, but there was a lot of rumors, wasn't there, out there? And I want to know from a man that was in the paddock that, the rumors of Sergio announcing maybe his retirement from Formula One at Mexico City. Do you think that's bullshit or is there some truth to it? I think there's a lot of truth to it. I think it will happen as well. Um, I was around the Red Bull team and Perez and his manager after the race. They just did the photograph with, with Max when the whole team has a, you know, the photo with the, uh, with the trophy yeah. and everything, his 50th win. And Sergio Perez is a far cry from the Sergio Perez that came into the Miami Grand Prix last time Formula One was here in the United States in May, because then he was really competing for the world championship. There was, you know, a lot of people thinking that he was going to beat Max and Max sort of destroyed him. And from that moment on, he's just been a changed man. And uh, his demeanor, he was very quiet after the race. He was very relaxed, but you could see that almost like everybody around him, you know, you could almost see that maybe they're just taking it in for one last, one last dance, if you like, because it's, um, it, it's inevitable that his career is going to come to an end. It's just when is the question. And I think it makes a lot of sense for him to announce his retirement in Mexico. I personally believe that the Red Bull team will be pushing him towards that because it will save face for them. The last thing they want is negative press from sort of the, the Latin Americas or Mexico, you know, in general, because that can be, that can be detrimental to the, to the team and their publicity, of course. But if Checo's the one to say, Hey, I'm out of here, then Hey, they can send, give him a good send off. Right. Yeah. I mean, and he made no mistake. And we say, I keep saying he is a stunning driver. He's a Grand Prix race winner. He's the best thing out of Mexico since the Rodriguez brothers. You know I mean, he really is, he is unbelievable. And and yet his brain has got, he's fused. It's just shot, right? And in Formula One, with those, only those 20 seats, um, every driver, there's so many young drivers, every driver has to to really bring their best for the team to justify the investment. Um, it'll set a cascade of uh, a knock-on effect of all the drivers, won't it, in the driver market. Uh, just as an armchair uh, analyst, what, what do you, who do you reckon should get his drive? Well, I think it will go to Daniel Ricciardo. That's probably the most logical um, move for Red Bull. They know what they're going to get out of Daniel. He's going to be a good teammate. He's going to be obviously great on the marketing side. He's, he's probably going to still have some decent pace, um, but they're going to give him that chance to show that, I believe. Uh, he's got a good relationship with Max, of course, and he's not going to challenge Max. It's Max's team. This car and everything around it is built for Max to win. And they know they don't need a number two driver to come in and even be taking points from Max. So um, I think Daniel is the most logical step for them. And then potentially Liam Lawson slotting into the Alphatari seat with the potential to to move forward into the race seat uh, in the future. But wait, there's a Lando Norris in the conversation. So you mm -hmm. never know if that could just happen out of nowhere. And Max and Lando, of course, good friends. It's well documented now. Um, they've got a great relationship. And Lando's very quick. But 
is he quick enough to beat Max? That would be the question. And would he want to be compared side by side in identical equipment? That is different because you're going to always say, well, my upgrades, this, that, we're not quite there. You know, tire deg's different, but when you're in the same car, you have absolutely no no chance. I, I was wondering if, you know, basically with the Liam Lawson's, with the pace of an Oscar Piastro rookie, whether, you know, whether Red Christian would be sitting there and going, yes, Daniel's the right guy, but he is definitely, the runway ahead of him is less than there is behind, you know, there's more runway behind than there is in front. And should should we give a young star the chance because they're just desperate to win and will do anything? So that will be an, that will be an interesting move. And, uh, and you know they're talking about it's failed it. before though. Remember, yeah, remember it's failed before when they've done that and it's destroyed some dri- some drivers' careers at the time. Uh, you know, Pierre Gasly, it looked oh, like yeah. his career was going down the wrong path, and then of course Alex Albon. And um, luckily, both of those two talents bounce back. But yeah. yeah, that's also the risk, right? Exactly. Going against Max, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. Well, talking about Albon, I mean Williams, two Williams in the top ten. I said it at the top of the show, wow, bloody hell, that's amazing. And and more amazing, a guy that I may have been a bit hard on, and I feel justifiably, is um, obviously Logan Sargent. I've been very much on this show. I mean, I'm sure he's a nice chat. I'm sure it'd be great to, to hang out with him. He's a nice bloke and he's obviously quick. But is he Formula One quick? And in Formula One, Williams just don't need a driver that doesn't deliver points. And on Sunday, he actually had a good run, didn't he, mate? It was, he had a decent run. He's up there in 11th place, but then he goes and gets the first points for an American driver in decades. Yeah. I mean, he's, let's, let's be honest, too many people have been talking about Logan's failures for so long. So let's, let's talk positive let's talk good now, things. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Mer- let's give him his, uh, you know, give him his uh, good, good vibes here from yeah. this show because He's in the points for the first time, American driver for 30 years, Michael Andretti uh, in the um, Italian Grand Prix in 1993, was the last person to do it. Previous to that, it was Eddie Cheever, um, I believe in 1989 in Hungary. And then you got to go back to Mario Andretti back in 1982 in the Italian Grand Prix as the driver before that. So that's a long time, you know? Mm. I mean, um, 1993, 30 years ago, um, it's a long time. And the other thing that we should we should keep in mind is he did get points, but how many successful drivers have come into formula one in their first season and not scored points? Yeah. I mean, you got to look at like guys like Carlos Sainz who started with uh, Toro Rosso and how long it took for him to to get his career to, to launch. So sometimes we need to be a little bit more patient. It's difficult when there's only 20 seats and let's be honest, Alex Albon is out qualified him in every race. He scored points in six of the races this season. I believe it was his sixth, uh, sixth time in the points mm. just in Austin here. So he's amazingly quick, um, great for Sergeant, great for America. And let's hope he um, continues that because if not, he's going to be definitely, um, there's definitely going to be a lot of talk about him still not making that seat next year. Yeah. And I uh, love the way you put that. Let's give him the best wishes because I know that it's a state of mind and he didn't have a state of mind. So now maybe he's in the right state. And text, you know, moving into Mexico is going to be a good one. Well, listen, I'm. It is now time for the mobile one pit stop for the love of driving. Uh, just a few questions. I think it'd be kind of fun, Darren. Um, what's your most prized col- item in your collection? My most prized collection item in my collection. You know, a lot of the drivers that I've become personal friends with uh, over the years. So I've got like a lot of memorabilia from Dan Weldon. So it would be one of his helmets. Um, Scott Dixon gifted me one of his helmets when I was starting out um, collecting and that means a lot to me it was from his race win and um, yeah I mean a lot of my Mario Andretti items are personal too I mean I still pinch myself you know how it is around these legends when Mario says hi Darren and I'm like talking to me you know my name you know and here's a guy who's kind of like one of my legendary figures that I've always had a lot of respect for so having Mario's items is is also special I have this vision of you just with these three helmets and a couple of suits in the fire happens and you're off and you'll be carrying them that's great what a great thing but as a collector what is the holy grail just educators what is the holy grail yeah I mean 
we have show cars that we sell now too. So you can put an F1 show car in your house. That could be maybe the Holy Grail. But certainly when it comes to memorabilia, like a Senna helmet is very iconic. We've got an exact replica actually at the win there at McLaren on display, um, a Bell XFM1 helmet. But that's kind of iconic is the Senna helmet. You, we talked earlier about the designs and that's the that's the one for me that just stands out. It, when it comes to helmets, it's the most famous and recognizable one as well. The best driver to work with in Formula One? Good question. I really get along with Valtteri Bottas. I've had a long relationship with him, done a lot of business with him. He's very easy to deal with. Um, but honestly, they're all they're all really good guys. They're, they really are, um, especially this, this group of 20 of them is very special group, very, very nice people, easy to work with. And I think uh, a lot of it comes down to the social media and stuff too. They get to know you better. And uh, yeah, so we'll go with Bottas. Okay, good. Uh, who does still make you starstruck? Who makes me starstruck? That's a good question. Like racing-wise, racing I suppose. Wise, yeah. yeah. You know, I suppose it's the likes of maybe like Jackie Stewart. You know, I saw him yesterday and talked to him a little bit. But, you know, this guy has been through so much in his career. He's a three-time Formula One champion. And it's like unbelievable what he what he's lived through. And he's still around and he's still getting paid. He's the ultimate professional wearing the Rolex and, and having these Heineken sponsors. He, I'm, I'm impressed by him uh, both you know, uh, on the racing side and the business side. So, yeah, a little bit starstruck by Jackie. This is the tough one. Formula One or IndyCar? Oh, so, okay. Racing-wise, I love IndyCar. I mean, you've got identical machinery. Right now, you've got probably the greatest crop of drivers in the history of the sport. You've got amazing tracks. You've got, you know, the cars are really fun to drive and, 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 and watch them drive. I mean, these guys have got no power steering, they're muscling it around. Um, but the marketing and the power of Formula One and the glitz and glamour, I mean, this sport is absolutely on fire right now. And just to be around it is, is just absolutely amazing to, for people like us who've seen it all these years and see where it is now. It's jaw-dropping every time you're there. Yeah, brilliant answers. Well, thank you for... Didn't really answer it. No, didn't, didn't really answer it, did I? To me, that was the best answer. Mobile, mobile uh, One uh, Pit Stop, it is for the love of driving. It's for the love of every everyone that ever gets behind the wheel of a Formula One or Indy car. I mean, honestly, they are heroes. Um, before I let you go, Las Vegas, will you be here for, for the Grand Prix? Absolutely. I'll be there for the full week running up to it. I'll be in the win if anyone wants to stop by it there. There's got some beautiful road cars in there. We had Elvis Presley's McLaren M1 from 1965 on display as well and all of our F1 memorabilia. So we got stuff that fans can come in and buy, like uh, race use helmets, suits, signed photos, and I'll be there to say hi and to uh, to give tours. I so I'll be it. there all week. Love it. Appearing soon at the win, Las Vegas. Darren Jack, thank you, mate, for joining us. Uh, look forward to watching the race this weekend in Mexico, as I'm sure you do. And thanks for taking the time and yeah. for extending your checkout. My pleasure. I might be going to Mexico, still waiting to hear. Okay. So Let we'll us maybe do it again. <laughs> All right, buddy. Take care. Thanks, mate. Thanks a lot. See ya. Hey, race fans, Justin Bell here. If you're anything like me, driving probably means quite a lot to you and not just racing, all driving. Nowadays, I'm sure you feel like I do sometimes, too distracted with texts, emails, work calls, and social media to get out there and simply enjoy the open road. Now, I've always had a love for driving, and that's what Mobile One is all about. A reminder that even when life starts to feel too full of screens and routines, the ultimate escape is waiting patiently in your driveway. Mobile One, for the love of driving. Well, the Formula One Circus moves to Mexico City this weekend. 71 laps of the 4.3-kilometer Autodromo Hermano Rodriguez. It's been racing there since 1963. Uh, they took a little bit of a break, but it is a hugely popular track with the drivers and the very rabid Mexican fans. It is two kilometers high above sea level, so very demanding on not just the cars, but also the drivers. 
My forecast for this weekend is, well, Max is going to obviously dominate, but I don't think it'll go all his way, especially Lando Norris is going to want that win. I know, I can taste it. I know he can smell it. And Lewis Hamilton, he's going to want to revisit that podium and challenge, maybe with a better strategy to put him on the top step. Ferrari drivers, well, Sainz made the podium last weekend. He's going to want to be definitely on it this weekend. It's going to be an amazing race and a lot to play for. Remember, Drivers' Championship is not locked up from second place downwards. But of course, when it comes to other parts about this weekend, there are so many storylines. It's it's not just about drivers' honor and validation. It's also really about the millions of dollars that are at stake for the championship points. And that puts a lot of pressure on these drivers. It's I've never really driven in that environment where you're getting so much pressure, not just for your own performance, but collectively the team's performance. And when I say it, it, it's millions, it, it literally is, as well as, of course, all the drivers, uh, uh, the drivers sort of jobs for next year. And while they look pretty locked in right now, if, as Darren said, Checo Perez does announce his retirement this weekend, you are going to see the dominoes fall all over the place and some guys are going to get amazing opportunities and maybe others aren't. So a lot to play for. But with us here in Las Vegas, you can tell, I mean, I've got racing helmets, we've got racing cars in the place, but uh, there is also inside the Las Vegas in that McLaren Experience Center, they've got that Elvis Presley's Elva in there, which is looking amazing in gold. We talked about it quite a few episodes ago. Uh, A lot going on as we build up for the Las Vegas Concours. Uh, We have cars quite literally from every era, even the future. Some big celebrities booked in to come in. I'm going to be out there hosting it. I I honestly can't wait. It is November 11th. It is the lead-in to the entire Grand Prix week. So a lot of expectation and pressure on us. But ours is just to have fun and bring it to you as well. So enjoy the race this weekend. Follow us on social media. Don't forget to stay in touch. Let me know if you've got anything you really want me to ask our guests. I'm still working on who's going to be available next week. It depends maybe on who does well this weekend. Uh, Bye for now. Thank you very much for the Win Las Vegas for being our hosts and Blue Wire for having me in their studio. And of course, to Mobile One for the love of driving. See you next week.